0: family uh indian family in kuwait my parents were migrant workers in kuwait so i was born there raised there and i'll share a little bit of my story i'll intertwine it into the sermon but ever since i was little my earliest memories were my dreams to be a preacher so i've always wanted to be a minister of the gospel my mom uh, prayed one of those hannah prayers you know uh, you're probably familiar with the hannah prayers right lord you give me a son and he's yours and uh, so she prayed, and ever since I was little, this is the only dream I've had. Uh, you know, kids are running around dreaming of becoming lofty dreams, you know, of being fire truck drivers, you know, and, and bus drivers. And I'm thinking, Lord, I just want to preach the gospel all over the world. And so that's been my dream all along. So when I was 18, the big question for me was, well, am I going, going to go do that now or do that later in life? Uh, so it took a Great step of faith, and I said, "Okay, I'm going to go do that now." So I started looking for Bible schools on the internet. Uh, This is right after 9/11, if you remember. And so I I really didn't care; I just would go anywhere. So I looked for Bible schools all over the world, and uh, found, uh, made a list of schools, and applied to this one school in Rhode Island. Who's heard of Rhode Island, right? I want to talk about Long Island. I'm talking about Rhode Island. <laughs> so found this little school in Rhode Island, felt God lead me to apply. This is the only school I applied. Uh, hopped on a plane and came over when I was 18. Uh, didn't know anybody, didn't know anything. My parents still live in Kuwait. I have two sisters. One lives in Australia, one lives in Dubai. So every member of our family has got away as far away as possible from each other. So we've put about eight hours of time zones between us. Uh, but you know we're a very global family we love the Lord and I'm very privileged to grow up in a godly family you know I didn't realize how important was that how, how important that was growing up all my life growing up I always wished I told my mom Ah, mom you know I'm gonna go and just mess up and then I'm gonna come back and say oh I was so bad but the Lord saved my life that everybody is gonna want to hear my testimony and so, of course, you can imagine the alarm that comes into a parent's heart. So my mom's like, son, relax over there, you know. And, uh, but that's my story. You know, I grew up in the church. I've been, I've been a Christian all my life. Uh, my earliest memories, I, I don't remember a time when I haven't loved the Lord. Uh, I remember a time when I wasn't serving the Lord, and then I rededicated my life to the Lord when I was 15. And the very next week, I started preaching the gospel. So it's been a very f- beautiful, fantastic journey of how God has led me through the years. Uh, One more quick point about my journey, and we'll go into the Word. Once I finished my college at Zion in Rhode Island, I felt God lead me to study more. But everything in me wanted to just go be an evangelist. Uh, Because every week of my senior year in college, I had been preaching the gospel somewhere in in the world, right? So there was not one weekend That that was open. So I thought, goodness, this is exactly what I'm supposed to do. So everything in me wanted to go be an itinerant evangelist, but the Lord told me, the Lord spoke very clearly and said, Stanley, I need you to go study more. And I thought, Lord, no, I don't want to study more. You know, you've you've got to be wired a certain way in order to go live in the library, you know. And I vowed, I'm not giving my 20s to a library. And, and most of you who are, you know, students and uh, in the academic field will know. I mean, it's, it's a huge commitment. And uh, so I applied to three schools, three seminaries, um, just to be diligent, right? You've got to do, do due diligence. And I applied to Asbury in Kentucky, Ashland in Ohio, and Gordon-Conwell in Boston. And everybody in my life at that time went to Gordon-Conwell in Boston. And uh, so I applied just to be diligent, you know, but... I knew from the get-go that was not what God had for me. I can't explain it. It's a fantastic school, but as I drove up to Gordon, I remember for the campus visit, I felt miserable on Ninety Five North. You know, I thought, (laughs) "Goodness, this is not for me." So that was out. But I got accepted. You know, got the scholarship, but I was that that wasn't it. And then it was Asbury. Asbury called me. And uh, they offered me a full scholarship, right? And I'm like, well, God, pro- lead, you know, where God provides is probably a good sign that that's probably where he's leading, right? So I thought, but I was holding off. And you have to accept the scholarship by a certain date, the midnight. And I held off till, the, till maybe like 10 minutes before midnight, thinking, no, maybe like an evangelist position will open up and that's what I should be doing. And when nothing opened up, 10 minutes before the deadline, I accepted the scholarship and I said, okay, God, if this is what you're saying, I, I want to be open to that. The next morning, I get a call from Ashland in Ohio. They said, congratulations, Stanley, uh, you've got a full ride here too. And we'll even pay for your books. You can live here. And my friends who are pastors in the area said, we'll get you a car. You can live at home. You can just commute. And all of a sudden, it was just confusion, right? What does God want? What is, God, what is God saying? And as soon as that came to my mind, the thought came to my mind, you know, I made my decision last night. I'm going to stick with Asbury. And you know, I share that to say, you, know, you might remember the Apostle Paul's journey in Acts 16. Acts 16, at the end of Acts 15, Paul begins his second missionary journey. Acts 13, the first missionary journey begins, and it's so clear. The voice of God is so specific. The church is gathered together. They're fasting in prayer, and the voice of God comes, set apart Paul and Barnabas for the ministry, right? Very clear, very, very, very oral and vocal. And they go out and they do all of this wonderful ministry. But Acts 15 starts, the second missionary journey, and it begins with a fight. Right? There is no clear voice of God, and then they begin on this journey, and then Paul takes Silas on, and he goes into Bithynia, he goes into Asia, and the Spirit of Jesus forbid him to speak there. He goes into the next province over, and the Spirit of Jesus didn't forbid him, and then he went into Bithynia thinking, oh, that's right in the Mediterranean Sea, and that's probably where he could really preach the gospel to a large number of people in the city. And again, God did not allow him to speak until he arrived at Troas, and finally he got the vision. And I share all of that to say, you know, a lot of times the voice of God is not necessarily so clear. He leads us and he guides us. Sometimes it's so specific and you know this is clearly it. And then there are other times you have to go back and you wonder, God, what are you really saying? It seems like this is where you want me to go. But then, you know, you follow along and you just see God leading you in such a beautiful way. So I'm going to switch into the passage that we're going to read today, and I'll continue that narrative of God leading us. So today I feel led to speak to us about trusting in God's voice. Pastor Mike said, you can preach on your life's passion, you know, but as I pray, every time I speak, I pray and I ask God to give us, give me something that the church needs. So I really feel like this is what God wants to say to us today. So turn with me, if you will, to Genesis Genesis chapter 15, we're going to look at the life of Abraham. We're going to look at the life of Abraham. Look at Genesis chapter 15, and we're going to read quite a bit of scripture today, all right? So we're going to dance all over scripture. So hold your horses, strap on your seatbelts, let's, let's go. Genesis chapter 15, I'm going to read from verse 1 all the way to verse 5, and then we're going to jump into the New Testament, and I'm going to read from the Gospel of John, all right? Here we go genesis 15 verse 1 after this the word of the lord came to abram in a vision do not be afraid abram i am your shield your very great reward but abram said sovereign lord what can you give me since i remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is eliezer of damascus and abram said you have given me no children So a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, look up to the sky and count the stars. If indeed you can count them, then he said to them, so shall your offsprings be. Now switch over to the gospel of John and let us look at John chapter 4. I'm going to read from verse 43 all the way to verse 54. Hear the word of the Lord. After the two days, Jesus left for Galilee. Now, Jesus himself had pointed out that a prophet has no honor in his own country. So when he arrived in Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. They had seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, for they also had been there. Once more, he visited Cana in Galilee, where he had turned the water into wine. And there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick at Capernaum. When this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son, who was close to death. Unless you people see signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. The royal official said, Sir come down before my child dies. Verse 50, go, Jesus replied, your son will live. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. While he was still on the way, his servants met him with the news that his boy was living. When he inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said to him, yesterday at one in the afternoon, the fever left him. Then the father realized that this was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, your son will live. So he and his whole household believed. This was the second sign Jesus performed after coming from Judea to Galilee. Will you pray with me? Gracious Lord, we thank you for your word. Your word is powerful. Your word is what we need today. Lord, would you breathe your breath of life into these scriptures and make it come to life in our hearts today. Lord, you have the words of life and what we need today. So would you speak to us? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Fantastic scriptures, right? So let's go back to Genesis chapter 15. So here, God comes to Abram and tells him this phenomenal promise. He says, do not be afraid. I am your shield and your very great reward. If you switch just one page over and you go to Genesis chapter 11, at the very end, we see the introduction into Abram's life. God comes to Abram's family and tells him, Abram, follow me from the land of the Ur of the Chaldeans, which is modern-day Babylon, and he says, follow me to the land I will show you. Right, No specific direction on where it is. It just says, follow me, I will show it to you. So they embark on this journey. But then the Bible says at the end of chapter 11, when they arrived at Haran, they pitched tent. Who told them to pitch their tent there? Right, They just did. And so, like us, we begin our journey. We hear God's voice. We embark on the journey. And then somewhere along the line, we say, all right, well, I think this is a nice place for us to stop right and we just kind of pitch our tent but then the beauty of the lord is that he comes back to us you know it's god of the second chances so he comes in genesis 12 verse 1 and the lord and it says the lord had said to abram so it's past tense right he had spoken already he says go from your country your people your father's shall to the land i will show you and listen to the promise God says to Abraham, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. And he says, look at at the end of verse three, he says, all people on earth will be blessed through you. You switch to Genesis chapter 13. And again, we see the passage of interaction between Abram and Lot. And God says to Abram again, he says, Abram, you see the sand on the seashore? Can you imagine Abram is dealing with his nephew, who's kind of a pain, right? And Abram puts up with him, takes care of his nephew, right? All along, he's hoping for and longing for a son, but he does what is right. He takes care of Lot, and then God comes to Abram and gives him more promises. What does he say here in Genesis 13? He says, Abram, you see the sand on the seashore? Can you count them? If you cannot count the sand on the seashore, that is how many your descendants will be, right? Great promises. Then you switch to chapter 14, and again, a great promise. And then you come to chapter 15, and again, the passage that we read today, I am your shield and your great reward. Now, think about what is going on through Abram's mind. God called him. He begins his journey. He embarks on this journey, and he's traveling along. And he hears God's promise after promise after promise. And then let's look at chapter 15 once again. Sovereign Lord, what can you give me? He hears the promise, right? What would you do? You want something so bad, right? And so finally, God just keeps giving you promise after promise. Son, you're going to do awesome. Daughter, I've got this covered. It's going to be great. And God gives promise after promise every time you pray. I think Abram got pretty frustrated, right? In verse two, Abram says, sovereign Lord. I mean, I know you're just sovereign, right? You've got everything under your control. You do everything according to, the plan, according to your plan. You are the master of the universe, sovereign Yahweh, the Lord of the covenant. You are in control. I, I, I recognize that. But all I've been asking you is for a little son. I mean, you keep telling me you're my great reward, but Lord, if I die today, you know, everything I have, everything you've blessed me with is going to be given to Eliezer. So God, I mean, it's nice and all, but show me the money, right? <laughs> it's like, tell me, do you re- are you really going to deliver on what you're saying? And what does God do? I mean, we've all been through there, right? God tells us, son, follow me, daughter, follow me. I've got you. I've got you in the palm of my hands. I know everything that's going to happen in your life. I knit you together in your mother's womb. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. Before even one of your days came to be, I know them all. And we're saying, God, just show me the next step. Right? And we're saying, God, what are you really saying? So Abram kind of, kind of, you know, kind of throws a self-pity party. And listen, all of us are like this, Right? And God comes, and what does God do? Show me the money. God gives him more promises. What would you do, right? He asks God for what he's been praying for, and then God says, Abram, come over here, bud. Takes him out of his tent, and he says, and you can imagine it's night, right? If you've got to see the stars, it's got to be pretty night, right? Pretty dark. So imagine what's going on through Abram's mind. He's probably lying next to Sarah, Sarai, in the tent, right? It's night. Guess what he's thinking about, right? He's thinking about God. There's this one thing I've been praying for for so long. And God says, Abram, all right, come out of the tent. Takes him out of the tent. says, look at the stars. Can you count these stars? These are how many your descendants will be. Now, if God had said that to me, I would have said, God, I'm done. (laughs) Lord, I can't. I I mean, like, this is good and all, but, like, I need to see stuff, you know? Like, you're telling me great things. But, like, you know, it's so hard. But the Bible says, look at what, in verse 6, and this is why Abram is the father of faith. Verse 6 says, Abram believed the Lord... And he credited it to him as righteousness. Switch over to the passage that we read today. We see Jesus. This is very early in the Gospel of John. where Jesus had just performed the water turned into wine. Right? Again, Indians would say vine, right? Because we have a problem with the V's and W's. So Jesus just turned water into wine. And... He's, you know, he's dealing with the opposition. There's this whole narrative in the Gospel of John that's going to build up of Jesus having to deal with all of these opposers, right? But very early in the Gospel of John, in chapter 4, we are introduced to this outsider, someone who works as a royal official for the king's court. He comes to Jesus and he says, Jesus, listen, I've heard you're great, but my son's dying. Can you please come? And Jesus is like going into a teaching lesson, right? He's like, listen, you guys will not believe unless you see a sign. And he's like, Jesus, please, like my son is dying, right? Can you imagine the exasperation and desperation of a parent who's taking care of their child, who's dying, leaves the child in Capernaum, travels all the way to Galilee and says, Jesus, please just come and touch Our child and Jesus says to him go your son will be well now this man as an outsider had enough faith to know or he had heard enough to know that if Jesus is present he could do something right but Jesus is saying listen he's asking you to take a step a little bit further and say just trust that even if I can just say it it will happen so Jesus tells him go and your son will be well What does this man do? In the verse that we read, it says, this man believed what God said, what Jesus said. And he went exactly because he knew what Jesus said would happen. What does it mean to take God at his word? When Jesus, when God says something, when God promises, why is it so hard for us to actually wrap our minds around it? You know, I think one of the great challenges that we have in trying to hear and to recognize God's voice and to believe it, is because oftentimes when God speaks, what God is saying is so much more grandeur. It's the grandeur of the promise of God. So when God says things to us, we look at where we are, and God is oftentimes describing to us what is way ahead. So the picture that he paints for us is so glorious that we're looking at it and saying, God, all I'm asking is for a son, and you're telling me you'll give me a million, right? And it's this, all we're asking is for this child to be healed, that you would come. And, G- and, and God, Jesus is saying, no, 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 my word can take care of it. So God's promises oftentimes, it's the promise of the, the grandeur of the promise hinders us from really wrapping our minds around it. You know, I told you I'd tell you a little bit more about my story. My mother, when when my mother got married, it's an arranged marriage, you know, in India, it's, you know, it, in those days, it, it just worked, and it works even now. Uh, but in my mom's case, my mom's a praying woman, so God spoke to my mother and told her my dad's name when she was fasting, so she already knew my dad's name. So when my dad went to visit, right, it's like the first visit to the house, she already knew that this is the man he's going, she's going to marry, and my dad, you know, he was just like, well. I just asked her, are you okay with me? And she said, okay, so I married her. I was like, all right, <laughs> that works. <laughs> so they got married, and, and Indian, Indian culture, especially in our area, we have a custom where the, after marriage is the first time the the wife will step foot into the husband's home. Right? They don't know each other prior to that. So there's this custom where the husband will hold the wife's hand, and enter this, you know, like you have to step into the, the steps of the house. You have to put it on the right feet. It's like a big traditional whatever, right? So they enter, and as my mom was entering my dad's house, the talk came to her. Lord, my dad is one of 11 children. I know, right? There's a lot of kids. So she said, Lord, there's not one person in this family who's a minister of the gospel. So she said, Lord, if you give me a son, I will give him to you. And so when I was born several years later, they were all arguing about what to name me. And uh, my dad, I guess, was very, very happy. So they wanted to name me Santosh, which in our language means happiness, right? So my aunt, who you know, lived in the US, said, well, let's just translate it and make it Gladson, all these funny qu- <laughs> stuff going on, right? But my mom said, no, 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 my son is a missionary. And she named, me e, she named me Stanley after the famous Methodist missionary who some of you might know, E. Stanley Jones. E. Stanley Jones was a friend of Mahatma Gandhi. He had come and served in India around the middle of the, century, middle of the past century. And he was just such a phenomenal preacher. He's preached in our hometown a lot. And he was just such a you know, like larger-than-life figure. So they said, oh, I want my son to be a global missionary. So they named me Stanley John, hoping that I'd be a missionary someday. So once I finished my college in Rhode Island, and as I was applying, I came to Asbury, I told you, little did I know, I described to you the process that I went through in choosing Asbury, but little did I know that when my mom named me Stanley, some you know at that time 25 years ago, that I would be in the very same school where E. Stanley Jones studied. In fact, the School of Missions at Asbury, which I did not know, Is called the E. Stanley Jones School of World Missions and Evangelism. (laughs) And guess what? They give an award to a graduating senior. Guess what the award is called? Yeah, You guessed it. And guess who got the award the year I graduated? (laughs) Right? You know, the promise of God might be so grand and so awesome that we, from our vantage point, cannot really fully grasp and see it. God does not necessarily reveal things in chronology, right? Isaiah, 600 years before the birth of Christ, is preaching about the servant king, right? Daniel, he's seeing this man with head and shoulders and and ties and, and feet of various types of elements, and he's predicting what's going to happen several hundred years later. Joseph, right? He's a little boy, and he's seeing the sun, the moon, and the stars bowing to him. And he's like, Lord, what is going on? And they God kicked him out of the family, right? He probably wouldn't want to share everything that you see. David, <laughs> right? This little right, this little teenage boy. You can imagine this little teenage boy, probably a redhead, you know, freckles on his face, probably acne breaking out with the sheep. He gets called in, and Samuel takes the oil and anoints him, like drenches him, right? And says, so, This is the future king of Israel. And of course, the reality of that promise came to fruition only many, many years later. And this is what is so difficult about the grandeur of the promise of God that hinders us from actually getting our minds and grasp it. You know, I think of Pedro. You've heard of Pedro, right? Pedro was driving around New York City. You know, I mean, you know, the economy was bad. I mean, this guy needed a job really badly. Finally, he got, a, he got an opening, right? He, someone was going to. Allowed, going to be able to interview him so he drives down there he's driving around trying to find a parking spot and of course he can't afford the 38 dollars right so he's driving around trying to find a street parking and he throws his hands up in the air and says okay god this is not gonna happen time is closed i'm not gonna be able to make my interview but if you give me a parking spot i'll quit drinking tequila and i'll go to church right? Miraculously, a parking spot appeared out of nowhere. So he pulls into the parking spot, and he looks up and says, oh, never mind, God, I got this. Never mind, God, I got this. It's so much like us, isn't it? We hear God's promises. We hear God's voice. God does does something very powerful and answers our prayers, and then we want to figure it out on our own way. But the grandeur of the promise of God, while it might hinder us, make it, make it challenging for us to trust God, what it's really calling us to do is to trust in the voice of God, trust in his guidance. We don't have it all figured out. There's no way I could have figured out choosing Asbury, where East Stanley Jones, I mean, it's just so amazing that I couldn't have figured all this out. But if you trust in the guidance of God, God will lead you, even though his voice is not clear. The promise is so great. The second great challenge that we have, and, and, and this, this kind of, what, what makes it so difficult about this one, is that it combines with our faith at the same time. You know, so we hear God's promise, we listen to it, and we say, yes, God. But then there's this part of us that is so cautious. Right? We're like, oh, did God really say that? And, you know, caution is our way of of breaking our fall. You know, like, if this doesn't work out, we don't want to be terribly disappointed, right? So let's not believe, let's not go ahead and say this is God, because if it is not God, I mean, we're going to be in shambles. So we we come to God so cautiously, right? We say God, um, and sometimes it is not clear whether it's God, but if we approach our entire life of faith, and when God invites us to walk with him, you know, if we inter- approach the entire life of faith cautiously, we will never fully experience the abundance of God. You know, I'm reminded of a story that uh, Dr. Sam Kamalason would say often, it's a story of Johnny and Lucy, all right? Johnny, and you, you might remember, it might be a little bit before most of our young people's times, but Johnny was a phenomenal marble player, right? He used to play marbles. And you, know, you take it in your hands and you flick it and it kind of goes, you've played marbles, right? Or you've at least seen or heard of it. So he had a collection... <laughs> He had a collection of marbles. And you know, phenomenal marble players usually have a favorite. It might all look like the same to most people, but there's usually a little grove or a little ridge in something that you just know, like, that's my best. So you take your best shot and that's what you always win with, right? But then here comes Lucy. And Lucy's got this box of lint chocolates. And all of a sudden, the lint chocolates in Lucy's hands are so much more desirable than the marbles in his pocket. So Johnny goes to Lucy and tells Lucy, Lucy, let's make a deal. All my marbles for all your chocolates. And Lucy says, deal. So Johnny puts his hands in his pocket, identifies that one marble that is so precious to him, tucks it away in the corner of his pocket, takes the rest of it, says, here you go, Lucy, here's everything. The deal was all your marbles for all my chocolates, so here's all the chocolates. So he gets the box of chocolates, starts opening up the wrappers, and and Lucy's walking away happy and joyful for the collection of marbles while Johnny is walking away with the box of chocolates and starting to enjoy it. But then the thought crosses his mind. What if Lucy didn't give me all the chocolates. See, unless you give your all, you will always walk away thinking that someone, some God is holding back something from you. You know, the beauty of the Lord is that God invites us to walk with him, to trust him entirely without any backup plans without holding anything behind, saying, God, all of me, I give to you. Because that's what love is, right? How do you respond to unconditional love? What is an adequate response to unconditional love other than giving of your all for the all of the other person, right? That's unconditional love. And let me say one more story, and then I'll close. The final thing that makes faith so difficult is our prior experience of disappointment, right? We look back and we say, God, you know, you know that time? That was pretty hard. And that makes it really hard to trust that I will not, you will not let me down again. You know, it's our prior experiences of disappointment that lead us to, lead us in hesitating to entirely trust God. Let me tell you another story. You've, uh, you've heard of Amy Carmichael, right? Amy Carmichael was a phenomenal missionary to India. And Amy, when she was a child, growing up in Scotland, she, as a little girl, she looked around and she noticed that all her friends, you know, light skin, blonde hair, and what? Blue eyes. And... Amy had brown eyes, so she went to a service. She heard someone preaching about the power of prayer. She comes back, and she looks into a mirror before she goes to sleep at night. This little 12-year-old girl, right, puts her eyes wide open and says, God, I'm praying that you give me blue eyes, right? And so she prays, and, and she goes to sleep. And sure enough, she wakes up the next morning, runs to the mirror, peeks her eye, you know, opens her eyes wide open, and looks into the mirror, and her eyes are still brown. And she was so disappointed, right? God didn't answer her prayer, and she really (laughs) believed. But you know, many, many years later, as Amy grew up and became a missionary and came to India in her late 20s and stayed in India for the next, I think, 54 years, she never took a furlough, stayed in India all her life, and ministered, even when she got sick and she was bedridden, she stayed there as a missionary for another 18 or 20 years. But one of the things that Amy did was she would rescue children. In that time in India, in the early 1900s, There were what was called, you know, so the orphans, when children didn't have parents, when the parents had passed away, the orphans would be taken and left at the temple. That was the only place that they could go. And oftentimes, this was pretty difficult, especially for young girls, because you can imagine as a temple, being abandoned at the temple. So she would walk into the temple and she got this idea. Here's this white woman, right? What's she going to do? Walk into the temple and start stealing kids? Not gonna work, right? So what she does, she takes coffee, and dyes her skin brown. She takes a little drape, covers her hair, and walks into the temple, puts her arms around little children, and walks them right out of the temple and into her orphanage. And that is when it dawned on her. This was before contact lenses, guys. That's when it dawned on her. Man, if I had blue eyes, this would never work. I would never be able to fool these Indians. right? You know, a lot of our disappointments are because of unmet expectations, you know? And our unmet, ex- unmet expectations usually arise from recognizing, oh, this is our desired outcome. And when that desired outcome doesn't work, we say, God, listen, this is not going to work. Right, But what our faith and our trust is in is not necessarily in what we want as much as we trust and we have faith in who God is, that God is faithful, that he will tease your guide, that he will never fail you, and that he will take care of you. You know, there's this really cool story, my final story. <laughs> of, there's a sweet little girl named Gabby. She's like four years, three years old. She lives in New Jersey, actually. So she's in Sunday school. They go to a Ukrainian church, where Chrissy Labaki goes to. And uh, so, she, so Gabby was in Sunday school, and Sunday school was being taught by a recent immigrant from Ukraine. Right? She spoke fluent English, but she was the one teaching Sunday school. So she goes into the Sunday school room, and the kids are, of course, all rowdy, as you would expect from a three-year-old, right? So she tells the kids, guys, if you'll all behave... I'll give you a kitty cat at the end of it. What she really meant was Kit Kat. You know Kit Kat, right? The candy, right? But in Ukraine, they called it kitty cats. So here's little Gabby, right? This (laughs) maybe this little ADHD little girl sitting over there, hands under her thighs, just sitting like, oh, if I just get through this hour, I will get my little kitty cat. So she's so excited, holds on for dear life, sits through the entire hour and a half, because Ukrainian service can go on for a while, and sits through the entire thing, and at the end, here's this little teacher, whips out these little kitty cats and says, here you go, here's your little kitty cat. And she looks at the teacher, what kind of a sick joke is this? Right? You promised me a little kitty cat, and of course the child wouldn't be consoled. You know, it's unmet expectations. You know, we have these unreasonable expectations, because we misunderstood to begin with. And then we become disappointed. And we come to God with all of this. And we say, God, how do we trust again? And Let me read one more verse to you from, from the book of Romans. It says, verse, chapter 4, verse 18. It says, Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed, and so became the father of many nations. Just as it had been said to him, so shall your offsprings be. Without weakening in faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old. And that's, that's a good point, right? And that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet, he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. My brothers and sisters, your body might be as good as dead, right? Everything in your life situation might look so dismal and you might have very few reasons to hope. But let me tell you, our hope is not in your situation or in what you can do or whether the promise can come to pass. Our hope is that God will not fail in his promises. If he said it, he will fulfill it. You hold on to that promise. So let me ask you, would you stand with me as we close in prayer? Would you bow your hearts? And let's take a few moments. And would you just look and ask God to remind you of all of the promises that he has spoken on your life? And would you say, God, I do not see it. Lord, and I've heard you speak to me before. You've said so many things. And God, yet it's been so difficult to fully trust. But God, today, I don't want to live cautiously. I want to give you my all. I want to trust you wholeheartedly. Would you pray and say, God, all of my disappointments of the past, Lord, I know you can make beauty come out of ashes. Lord all my unmet expectations and my prayers that went unanswered God I know you have beauty you have beauty coming out of ashes would you say Lord I trust you would you say God I trust you with everything everything God everything 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 everything, I trust you because you never fail you never fail a moment. Would you give your life to the Lord? Would you just open up your palms before God and say, God, here it is. Here it is. The entirety of it. Not holding back any marbles. Not holding back anything God fully trust in you. So Father, we invite you to take control of our lives to lead us, to walk with us, to direct our steps. So as we lift our hands before you, Father, we want you to know we fully trust. We want to fully follow you, God, and we want you to know that we trust in your promises because you never fail. You always come through. So today, Lord, for all of the things that are on our hearts and our minds, that keep us awake at night, that we think about over and over again, that we twist and turn in our beds worrying about. Lord, we want you to know that we trust you, that you will fulfill your promise. So we thank you, dear Lord, for your dear church today. So if you're here and you're praying that prayer, would you just lift up your hands and say, God, I trust you. All of it, everything. Hear the prayers of your people, dear Lord. And pour out your blessing. Help us to hope again. Give us hope, oh God. For we ask this in your Son's name. Come Holy Spirit.